0: Welcome to another episode of growing together a podcast powered by the community of arizona sustainable apparel association where we talk to local sustainable fashion businesses in arizona about their brand story passion for sustainability and how we can all become more responsible stewards of the earth through our clothing choices i'm your host madeline Dolgen. now on to the show Hello everyone, today we are honored to have Karen Lucas, a sustainable eco-fashion designer maker here with us to share more about her business, reclaimed garments and discuss sustainable fashion. Welcome to the show. Thanks
1: Madeline, it's delightful to be here with you today. Thanks.
0: Awesome, we're so excited to have you. So for our first question, we always start off by trying to get a better sense of our guests' personal style and what fashion means to them. So if you were an article of clothing, what would you be and why?
1: I would like to be one of my jackets. And the reason for that is because I would come into being knowing that the care and the passion and the time and thoughtfulness that was put into the creation of me, the jacket. And then there's the joy of the exchange from being made and having a new owner conduct the transaction of doing an exchange of money for taking me with. And so in that experience, when I'm with the new owner, then that creates a whole new story. So I come with a backstory. And then we together start a new story. And I think of the places that we would go. I think of going to the gallery. And I think of going out and being with friends. And I think of moments in time that would uh, would be designed so that this jacket would be a part of that moment. And I think of the conversations that would happen. Because, again, I come with a backstory, And my the person who owns me has that backstory. And so I'm thinking that there would be people that would come up and make comments and ask questions. And my delightful owner would show details and tell the story of how I came into being. And then I think because because the jacket has been designed to last a long time, I'm thinking of as time goes on and perhaps for whatever reason, I'm no longer uh, a part of the closet of the original owner. Perhaps I've been resold. Perhaps I've been gifted to someone who coveted me. And, and then I start the whole cycle all over again. I get to travel and have experiences and have be a part of conversations. And I think that for me to be one of my jackets, the most delightful stamp of approval would be to ultimately end up in the embrace of a vintage collector, reseller. So that would be a testament to my longevity, to my flair, (laughs) to my story. So yeah, I think that that would be my desire to travel as one of my jackets through time.
0: Wow, I feel like we've learned so much about your brand just from that answer. Like it's so clear, you know, that you think about from the minute a garment is made all the way through um, how it travels through the hands of customers and what it means for them and all the way through till the end of life, which is something that I think is so incredible about your brand. So you call yourself a designer maker. Tell us more about what that means.
1: So When I created my label and made the decision to put my name on the label, I did that consciously as a proclamation of my ethos, a stamp of my brand on my products. But then I really needed a title to describe me behind the label. And I think designer maker is the most appropriate verbiage to describe me in particularly in this process. As a designer, I'm the problem solver. And so this is where it's the process. These are the lists. This is, these are the words, this, these are, this is where the images are conjured where I'm solving problems in my head and nothing has been manifested yet, but I'm doing all of this imagining in my thought process. This is where I create order out of chaos because the maker part is that chaotic, creative mind-body connection where my hands are on the material and I'm forming and manipulating and molding that image that I have in my mind. And I see this designer maker it's a symbiotic dance between these two functions these this left brain right brain it's never bisected it's always dancing with one another throughout my creative process so i didn't think that i could do one without the other so that's why i proclaimed myself as a designer maker
0: I love that and just the connection between um, making, but also designing and the fact that you're doing both of those and, you know, there there are benefits to um, being involved in, in both of those processes. Tell us a bit more about your journey into sewing. You know, when did you first start sewing and how has this eventually led you into creating your own brand? I
1: think when I saw my grandmother, and this is at a very teeny tiny age, When I saw my grandmother with what I thought was a stick at the time, which later turned out to be a crochet hook, and string, I'm not talking about fat, chunky yarn, I'm talking about string. And when I saw her manipulating her hands while she's chatting and and enjoying herself with this stick and this string, and after a period of time, this diaphanous cloud of fabric would start billowing beside her. And I saw, I remember thinking that that was just magic because then this diaphanous cloud of fabric would be later on a bed, on a table, hanging from windows. Uh, On her, she made her own crocheted aprons. And then my mother um, made my clothes. She made quilts for our home. I think for her sewing was an expression of her creativity as well as many other women in my family. So it, it resonated with me as magic. And also I found that there was some power in that because when I wanted something that perhaps the family budget would not allow for, there was a solution to just find fabric and put it together and go through the sewing machine and, and then I could have what I wanted. So at 13, I made my first two-piece lined suit and just went from there. So it was a skill set that resonated well with me. Um, I grew up around it. So I was very familiar with different techniques of knitting or sewing or whatever. There was always somebody I could reach out to for some tutorial, for some problem-solving. And then because I enjoyed it, I practiced it. So I honed this skill set, which in later years, as in college years, I learned that this was a skill set that not everybody had and people were willing to ask me to do things for them, again, in exchange for compensation. So I did that for many years. I made things for other people. And it was always a byproduct of my, a side product, I would say, of my education and my career. But I did ballet costumes. I worked with interior designers. I um, just did, made things for other people for special occasions. It was was a skill set that served me well, and I enjoyed it until there came a point in time when I wanted to just make things for myself. And and so it wasn't something, so that was a determination. It wasn't something that I wanted to do full time. It wasn't something that I wanted to make my career around making sewing things for other people at their request, at their instruction, you know, at their criteria. Um, I just stopped doing that for a while and started doing things for myself. So in those things for myself, I was just playing and doing stitcheries and entering them into art competitions and things like that, just just to continue my passion with textiles. But I directed it more inward and, and more towards myself.
0: Wow. It's neat to see the evolution of how that um, skill set that you inherited from the women in your life eventually led you into um, being able to be commissioned for these these pieces and these artistic pieces, right? You mentioned putting them in art shows. Um, I'm curious how your designs changed when you started designing for yourself as opposed to others. Was there a difference there?
1: I think there was a difference because I was then allowed to be more creative. It wasn't as pragmatic problem solving. It wasn't as confined. There's this fine line (laughs) with the designer maintaining their integrity and how they envision the problem being solved. And when you're commissioned to do a piece, sometimes I felt like I was just the hands doing the making. And That sometimes it was very exciting. It depended on who I was working with. So it was very exciting and I could stretch myself. Um, And to this day, I do some work with some engineers that, you know, they're very specific about what they need and what they want. But there is a creative balance there. I have a little bit of space where I can do the interpretation and put my fingerprint on it. So that was The motivating factor, again, in turning away from sewing for other people and just practicing and playing on my own, because I wanted to know what my own fingerprint would look like. I wanted to know what my personal expression would look like.
0: Interesting. And I know that sustainability is a huge part of your brand. So tell us a bit more about why you specifically chose to be a sustainable brand and how you contribute to the sustainability movement and through what you create.
1: So I would say that I didn't start out to be a sustainable brand. Uh, Again, I was making and I was doing what I considered playing because I was just finishing out this journey of my career, where I had been working with small businesses, and ended up my career working with corporations. So, at at this apex of time, when I'm making a decision about turning the chapter of my career and what is it that I wanted to do, I really focused clearly on the making, and it wasn't until I designed and produced my tote bag, which I call the Bolsa. It wasn't until that happened that the brand started evolving. The Bolsa was a tote bag because I'd been schlepping around these paper bags from retailers with their logos emblazoned on them. Just, it was how I transported my materials to, you know, friends or to a meeting or something like that. And I thought, well, why why wouldn't I make a bag, a tote bag, to perform this function? And I would add a few more details to it. But why wouldn't I do something that said more about me instead of this retailer or that retailer? So that was the problem that I was solving. And in that space, I went to the thrift stores and I would buy bags and tear them apart to see how they were made and made phone calls to look for materials. And I mean, I did a deep dive into this because I wanted to use some sweaters that I had collected from the thrift store. So I wanted to challenge myself a little bit that everybody said, oh, you can't put a sweater on the side of a tote bag. It's going to flop. It's not going to stand tall. And I said, no, this is the problem I'm going to solve. And so when I did that and came up with a prototype that I thought was a good solution to the problem I'd set out, I then gave it to a couple of people and asked them to use it. And what features or details would they add? What would they subtract? How did it work? Is the size right? And from there, I was invited to do trunk shows. I was invited to go to market. A couple of boutiques wanted to carry the bag. So that point in time, the brand was built. You know, the actual constructs of the brand was built because then I needed more labels and hang tags and mark printed marketing materials and postcards and line sheets and all of the accoutrements of the administration and operations of a business. Um, So that was actually when the brand started. And then when I went to these markets, I also sought PETA approval for my bag because I wanted a stamp of credibility, because I realized that I was doing something different. I wasn't just going and buying fabric and making something. I was actually taking these discarded sweaters, which I used to delightfully tell people I had rescued (laughs) and And I was working with them in a way that was different and unusual. So I sought PETA approval for credit and which they gave me and put me in their little catalog of recommended retailers. And in the markets, I was invited to do a gallery, a solo gallery show that hung for three months. In those experiences where I'm interacting with people and I'm telling my story about my product, That was the seal of approval if I needed one, but that was definitely what motivated me to keep going because the people responded because not only were these just blue jeans or sweaters or neckties or upholstery fabrics that I had saved from its ultimate destination to a landfill, but In that interaction, I was able to tell them the story of how much of this stuff was out there and the growing amount of garments that were being thrown away, the deteriorating quality of fabric that I was experiencing. So my story, the longer I told my story and the more people I told my story to I was able to hone it and refine it. I was able to respond to what the audience resonated with, but I was able to get what I thought was an extremely important message out there that folks, we have a problem here. (laughs) And, And this was my small footprint in trying to address that problem and have a small platform to talk about that problem.
0: Wow. Interesting. And when you say that problem, you're meaning the excessive amounts of, of clothing waste, right? I mean, the
1: excessive waste, therefore the excessive overconsumption <laughs> to the excessive waste, the, this consumer mentality of disposability. It's like out of sight, out of mind. And, and again, in my trips to the thrift store, I just dug in a little deeper to find out what was really going on in this business because I could see it growing. Um, I remember a point in time in Tucson when one particular thrift chain brought in some folks from California to revamp the stores and they started a marketing program and they were going to market to young people. And, and I found that very peculiar (laughs) that this business was growing out of this outlet that, you know, when, when I was shopping in the thrift stores, I was an aberration because there were a lot of people there who were there because this was the only place that they could find things that they needed for themselves and their families. And I saw that this was changing and now this was becoming a place to shop and it was becoming marketed to consumers to, hey, you can have more, come here, buy more. And that distressed me um, again, because I saw the, the initial function of this outlet was now changing even to the point where I followed the trail. So what happens when this store sale items, where do they go? Where's the outlet? I would go to the outlet and ask them, what happens from here? And then I would follow it to the West Coast and found it. So in my exploration and in educating myself what was happening, I was more and more astonished and shocked at what was going on in our garment industry. So I was able to you know, insert that information into the storytelling of marketing my own goods.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. It seems sort of like being involved in the sustainability movement kind of just came out of the brand that you were building as opposed to being a a motive just from starting with um, choosing to use a sweater in your design has now become um, a much bigger um, message.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes it just pulled me in, you know, just the more information I found, it's like people need to know about this, you know, they, we need to be conscious consumers. We need to know about this. So yes, it just pulled me in that way.
0: Yeah. So what would you say then is is your advice for people who want to be more conscious consumers or, you know, what should our consumption habits look like when it comes to, you know, trying to be more sustainable and, and solving some of the problems of the fashion industry?
1: I think that we need to, as consumers, first of all, consumers have the power. Consumers vote with their dollars. So I think that consumers need to respect that power that they have and where they're putting their dollars because where they're putting their dollars says, this is okay. And then then I would say, please understand That this overconsumption, this excessive consumerism, and this idea that we just throw it away and it disappears, this model is unsustainable. Constant growth, constant profits. When you have that model, you're constantly squeezing costs. So where are you squeezing? Who are you squeezing? What damage is being done? This model of constant growth for constant profit growth, that model is unsustainable. So I think that I would encourage shoppers to consider that. Again, the power they have, where they wanna put their dollars, and be aware that what is going on right now and the information is out there. This is not like when I first started and I had to dig for it. There's not a day that goes by that somewhere in some news media outlet, one is not aware of the plethora of plastic that's being pumped into, our oceans. Oh, that lovely fish dinner you had last night, did you know that you probably consumed some microplastic fibers in that? And oh, that bottled water that you're drinking, do you know that it contains microplastics? I think this information is out there and and organizations such as the Arizona Sustainable Apparel Association putting it out there. This needs to be constantly front and center of the consumers so they can't avoid it and look the other way so i would encourage consumers to also dig a little deeper because now that the concept of sustainability is sort of everyday conversation in a way you know it's it's not an uh, it's not an uncommon term right now it's important for consumers to understand that sustainability is not a trend it is a culture it is a lifestyle so therefore I would in considering where you're placing your dollars, let's do a little research. It's very easy to market and throw out some lovely terminology that sounds organic um, and, and may not be. And I think that we could look at the food industry and how they had this problem and some of the things that they've had to do to overcome appropriate labeling as to what is really organic and what people are just calling organic. So in a way, this encourages consumers to slow down a little bit and to just pay a little bit of attention to what it is that they're consuming. What are you buying? Why are you buying it? What's gonna happen to it when you're done with it? Um, I think that if we can just one step at a time you know, start cultivating our habits in a more sustainable fashion. Um, I think that will get us where we need to go, but it's definitely gonna require the consumers.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you shared some of the most important questions. Um, I I think that's kind of where sustainable consumption starts, is just asking the questions about where something was made, where it was going, Um, like you shared. And this is reminding me, um, there's a motto that you shared with me in a a previous conversation um, that you try to embody in your brand about this idea of taking things that are thrown away mindlessly and, and making them timeless. Um, Can you tell us how that plays out in your um, design process
1: and what that, that motto means to you? I try to be thoughtful. Again, I'm trying to walk my talk and that is with a conscious effort. So as I said, if my label is a stamp that says, this is my personal and professional ethos, I I do not want to overconsume, and I do not want to thoughtlessly and mindlessly waste. And so in my design process from the beginning, I only select those garments that I know I'm going to use because I can see how attractive some of them are because they're cute, but they ended up in the thrift store because they didn't fit. The garment is horribly scratchy. It's not going to withstand what I have to put it through just to create my garments. So I'm very careful about the garments that I select. I'm very careful about maintaining inventory. I have a regular process that I purge my inventory. Sometimes things don't as I go through and clean out the bins and refold the fabric and reconfirm that this, this is indeed something I'm going to work with. Sometimes I look at things and say, you know what, it just doesn't resonate with me anymore. And so I need to put it back into circulation, you know, give it away to someone or sell it on a format that will buy it. So I try to design my lifestyle, my products are a byproduct of the design of my lifestyle. And so I try to be thoughtful about the decisions I make. What do I need to do in the construction production so that this garment will last a long time? That's very important to me. What do I do with this garment that makes it tell a story with its owner? You know, this is an expression of the owner too. And I try not to, I try not to mindlessly just push anything through. I, I, I really believe in, I really believe that in a sustainable culture, we are being thoughtful. We are being mindful of the choices we make. And purchasing is just one of the choices that we make consuming is just one of the choices we make as well as disposing i think that as far as at the end of the life cycle when i have used up everything that i can use because yes there are i do have garbage bags at the end of a period of time there are some things that are just have to be thrown away but before I get to that point, I have tried to resell it. I have either refashioned it. What I don't use, I try to resell. Recycling is the very last option because so much of that recycled textile waste just goes plopping in a landfill. And that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to avoid in my work. Did that answer your question?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I really feel like um, with your brand, you're trying to showcase a a more sustainable lifestyle broadly. And it's cool to hear how you um, think about that lifestyle and then incorporate it into your design process. Um, You know, we we didn't dive in right to, you know, what are the products that you're making? Because I think that really you are trying to encourage this lifestyle and and that's why I wanted to um, start there. But of course you're you're using reclaimed garments, right? That is your way Mm -hmm. of, you know, achieving this more sustainable lifestyle um, and and to be a a conscious choice um, for a consumer. Um, As far as that process of working with reclaimed um, garments, what would you say are the challenges or maybe the opportunities um, in choosing that You know, as part of your design process?
1: So the challenges become opportunities. Mm. <laughs> when I conduct workshops, I, that's the, the very beginning that I say is that when you come up to a challenge, let's just step back a minute and take a breath and see what we can do with this challenge. But in working with reclaimed garments, obviously, you are restricted to however much fabric is in that particular size of, let's say with the blue jeans from a child's blue jeans, which sometimes has some really interesting and delicate little features that I can use to an XXL man's denim Levi's. You know, I am restricted to the yardage that is in that particular garment. The opportunity that unfolds from that is how I'm going to merge different garments together to create the yardage that I need to produce any given garment. And then the little details can sometimes be tricky. The flaws, the character flaws of a particular garment that look like, oh, that would be cool to use. And sometimes it just doesn't work. So there's a challenge there in using some of the features and yet still having integrity with the garment itself. But I think the biggest challenge that I have been embroiled in since the very beginning and still now is how to scale up the production of one-of-a-kind garments. That, that is tricky. I have Obviously, larger production facilities just are not interested, much as part of the problem in fast fashion is that these the factories are set up to work efficiently. And it is much more efficient to just plop a bolt of fabric on the cutting table, run it out, stack it up, and cut it out. But to do one of a kind is a little bit of a slower process. I have worked with Um, a factory before, but I am way at the bottom of the totem pole. And um, my last experience, I didn't meet my deadlines for orders that I had taken because my manufacturer took care of everybody else and then finally got to me and we missed, they breached the contract on delivery. So the biggest challenge in working with reclaimed garments. Aside from the fact that the quality of fabric over these past couple of decades has really diminished with the plethora of fast fashion polyester fabric. um, uh, Other than that, the difficulty in doing what I do is finding how to scale up one of a kind production. I I haven't given up yet. But, but that's why I end up being a one-man show, you know, because I can't find, I can do, if I do a run of bags, 40 at a time is, 40 to 50 at a time is my max. I just, I, I'm burned out at the end of that. Um, so there's, so that it impacts the ability to scale up my business as a whole too. So you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I have good ideas here and there and try things here and there, but I think for anybody who's doing one of a kind, they would agree that scaling up is difficult, challenging, I'll say.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you raised that concept. The concept of sustainable fashion is sometimes also described as the slow fashion movement. And I think that a story you just shared about your challenges um, is, is, exactly why it's called the slow movement, because it challenges the fast fashion production that we have, which wants things to be streamlined and all the same, like you said, because that's more efficient. And Mm -hmm. so slow fashion movement really is challenging that idea Mm -hmm. and that concept. And it's just not the way things work right now, but it is the way that that things should be there's so many benefits i think to that one of a kind experience which is why you are designing one of a kind especially if you're working with reclaimed garments you know mm-hmm. you have to you're limited by what that you know re, what um size that fabric was of that sweater that you're using or something so it, it's a It kind of makes me think back to the idea you said of it being a dance when you're designing as you're working with that fabric and the limitations of of what you have. And in our current fashion production system, there is no dance. It's just efficiency. This looks like this, like follow these measurements, like very mathematical and not so creative. So I don't know if I have a solution for how do you scale up, you know, this idea of one of a kind, but I'd like to see that. Um, in the future, I'd like to see what does a factory look like that can actually produce this model of one of a kind. Maybe it is slower, but you know, could that could that be possible? So I'm I'm excited by that that idea, and mm-hmm. um, I hope that somebody starts to work on that, or you all as designers doing this one of a kind want to scale up, I mean, maybe can all join together and think about, you know, what does that look like on the factory floor so we can achieve that?
1: And I think it's fine. It, again, is a holistic concept. So it requires finding a manufacturer who's willing to take that time, that step to actually Work on that conversation. As I said, I did find one manufacturer out in many years of research. I did find one manufacturer who was willing to take the time, take their skill set and their expertise. They made some recommendations to me of how I could modify my front end process without compromising my aesthetic. And so we did, we were successful in our production. It was, and, and that manufacturer is no longer in business, but I come from the perspective that I know it can be done because I did it once. (laughs) So if it can be done, then it just, but it does require someone in that manufacturing portion of the industry to say, okay, I'll take a chance with you. Let's see if we can figure this out. Because therein lies more opportunity, not only for the designers, but opportunity for that manufacturer to be able to serve that design community.
0: Mm-hmm. Why would you say that from your perspective, these manufacturers are so resistant to it? Is it just the risk, the fact that it's slower? Is there less money in it? I mean, what is the hesitation towards being able to you know, be willing to try something different?
1: Well, I think it's a return on investment for them. You know, Again, the, the manufacturing is a big machine in and of itself. And the manufacturing process is just a component of that. So the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And so when I come in and say, oh, well, we have to interrupt that straight line or pause it or break it and reshuffle some things so that we can go along. And I'm even willing to invest in the cost of that anybody who was at scale, uh, at a larger scale of production, just wasn't interested. Uh, you know, I would hear, we have plenty of business, we're doing well. You know, it, it just, it's like cold calling. You just have to keep knocking on the doors and you know that eventually one day somebody's going to go, okay, you know, let's, let I'll think about it. Let's try it. So I know that it's out there. Um, I haven't, knocked on doors for a while since my last experience but I think that again it's just a matter we're talking small scale so do you want to make you know a bajillion duvet covers or pillowcases that you know you can you know how long it's going to take you you know when you're going to get paid you know you know everything or are you going to take a chance on some downtime with this, you know, novel idea and sit down and problem solve it through before we actually put it into the production line. So, you know, it's just a matter of finding the right person. But obviously, again, it's about profits. You know, Mm -hmm. how profitable are you going to be? How many of these are you going to sell? Those would be the questions I'd hear. Well, I don't know. I haven't produced them yet I don't even know the cost of producing them with you I know the cost of producing them myself but I don't know is it going to be more with you is it going to be less with you what's the cost of shipping you know so there there are a lot of moving parts to the manufacturing process and so that conversation really requires a willing person on the other end to explore it with you
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, profit definitely can drive some of these unsustainable decisions and, and processes. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes in, in trying to achieve sustainability, we have to rethink that, that business model and, and what does profit look like, which is you know, definitely one of the major challenges, I think, of the sustainability movement, but you just have to think about what you value. And I think what is it, what is important and and those, those trade-offs. So you've mentioned before you're in the process of rebranding right now. Can you give us a little teaser of what we can expect from you in the future?
1: Well, rather than rebranding, I'd say it's a new iteration. This is probably my sixth website and As I mentioned earlier, I do have a process of going through my inventory and purging and cleaning and editing. When I'm doing production, I do the same thing. I I edit each time I make something. I try to tweak it, whether it's a little easier or a little more refined from before. And so when we had this pandemic pause, I looked at where I was and took inventory of where I am at this point in time in doing what I'm doing and sought the advice of other people from different facets of the industry and then looked at my studio, looked at my website, looked at my product offering and decided that I really wanted to edit it and really hone it down to a particular focus. So whereas before, my collections are really materials-based. I don't have any relevance to fashion show calendars and trends and things like that. I have collections based on materials. So the necktie collection is bags primarily. The Sweater collection are bags, outerwear and throws the upholstery collection are primarily bags, although I did play with some throws. The um, the cashmere collection is really just outerwear. And then came the denim collection. And the denim collection is right now is interiors, which means bags and um, pillows and throws and bags and the jackets. So I decided that Oh, and I was also teaching classes and workshops and hosting other people to come in and teach. And I just felt like I wanted to just put all of everything on hold. And I chose the denim. Number one, I chose the denim because I can still find quality denim fabric. So that, that eliminated that hurdle. And then I wasn't seeing anyone doing what I was doing with the denim. So I felt like I had a voice, and now that I've been doing it for a while again, I was honing the skill set, and I was able to make decisions quicker, more efficiently. Um, so I'm able to up my personal production a little bit, examining my processes. So then it was time to go back to my website, and I wanted to clean that up and eliminate a lot of the excess that I have on there right now. So I think the new website should launch next month, but I'm taking it and really focusing on the denim story. And I wanna spend at least the next two years or so just diving deep into this denim story, what's going on in the industry, just the different products that I make with the denim. And of course it's related to the beautiful environment I live in, You know, in the Sonoran Desert, you know, I think that I'm inspired by the desert because the denim in the desert is all about endurance and longevity and, and blazing new trails. And so I just made that decision that I wanted to edit and hone my focus and I chose denim to do that with.
0: Yeah, denim is a fascinating case study, I mean, in in terms of sustainability, because it's a product that so many people use, and you know, you can match it with so many things, but it's also um, the use of cotton in denim as many sustainability challenges, they call it the thirstiest crop because it uses so much water and the heavy indigo dyes that are used. So, you know, I think it's fascinating that you're, you're starting there and it sounds like this can be a really cool new iteration of of your brand to dive more into that story. And, And I'll just comment. I love how every business decision, it sounds like you make or design decision is really rooted in, well, what's the larger impact and what's the larger story. And I think that's something that is so special and so cool about your your brand it's so much more than just the material or the design it's about the the larger conversation about consumption as you shared at the beginning and so i think there's a lot that we can learn from you through even just purchasing your garment and and following the the way that your brand continues to grow and and following that story of you as you know evolving as a designer and as a brand. So you're certainly. Thank you
1: for noting that. Yes. No, thank you for noting that because it is um, it is a conscious effort and it is it's it helps the evolution, it helps the growth, it, it helps make decisions. And so thank you for noticing that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely one of I think our sustainability warriors here <laughs> in, in Arizona. And I think we're really lucky to have you also as an advisory board member here at AZSAA. And the last question about, about your brand, I know you didn't set out to necessarily be a brand. This was kind of just an evolution of your, you know, your lifestyle, your motto and a skill set of sewing that you enjoyed. So was there anything that you know, surprised you about the experience of launching a brand?
1: I think, well, again, because I had been in business for my career, so the business components, there, I really didn't have any surprises there, maybe disappointments, expectations uh, were out of place with achievable results. I would have to say that in working with my brand the surprises were I was shocked at the data that I found about our our planet, the people, what we were doing, what we were doing with this fast fashion. I remember when the term fast fashion started taking hold and I wanted to know what that was about. And again, I had seen it in the thrift store. So I would have to say that, as far as my experience with my business, it was just the data that kept coming up that we really need to address this problem. This is a problem that cannot continue. We've already done a lot of damage and how can we justify looking the other way and just perpetuating the damage so i that that's again you know when i read someplace that in 2018 we were dumping enough clothes into the landfill equivalent to one garbage truck per second I, you know, the, I mean, the, I would just have this visceral reaction that, you know, this should be uh, calling, this should be calling people's attention to this. We should be paying attention to this. These, This is, you know, do do people really understand what landfills are? <laughs> you know, we, you know, we can't, you can cover it up, but then it just goes deeper into the, it's going to surf, the truth is going to percolate to the surface at some point in time. So, I I wanted to be a part of the solution, and I wanted to make certain that I didn't contribute any more to the problem.
0: Yeah, the data is out there, right, about Mm -hmm. these negative impacts, and I think we're all given a choice about what we do about it. Do we choose to ignore it and continue with business as usual, or do we radically alter and change um, the way that we do business, or the way that we design, and, and the way we?
1: We consume. Um, and even one little step at a time. I mean, we, you know, I would encourage people to keep that in mind. It's, it, you know, it, it's going to require radical change in a, in a, in the big picture. But if every person did one little thing, and, you know, even thinking about what they're going to do with that, that purchase after they're done with it, if, if everybody just did one little thing collectively that would create some momentum and it would have an impact and it will be very interesting to see what the fashion industry does once the pandemic pause is you know is subsided i i hope that it will alter its course there is some modification in the course because again the trajectory it was is is just unsustainable?
0: Yep, we are certainly at a crossroads after this mm-hmm. pandemic, and mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing seeing the effects of the types of systems that we've set up and and how they're they're failing us. And so, I do think it is a call to humanity about where do we go next and and what kind of future can we have? Well, Karen, you have shared so so many you know insightful pieces with us about just um, becoming a more sustainable and conscious consumer in, in general, I'm just so impressed the way that you continue to tackle this large issue of, of fashion waste, you know, one reclaimed garment at a time. Um, and you're certainly out there, I know, educating your consumers on this issue. And so um, we're we're definitely so lucky to have you as an advisor um, with AZSA. And I hope that our whole community will get to learn more from you um, and from your journey. So for anyone who wants to learn more and see these beautiful reclaimed garments that you have created, um, where can they go um, to find more about you
1: and your brand? I'm on the social media sites. So you can find me on uh, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, LinkedIn. I, my website is it's the old website is still up. So we haven't transitioned to the new one yet. The only thing I would say is that my name has a little bit of a funky spelling to it. So you can find me on the internet at karenlucas.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-L-U-K-A-C-S.com.
0: Amazing. That's a wrap.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)